Our first reading this morning is from Hosea, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our primary reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Parkside. I love being able to come here. Um, It's just a special thing. When you are in your home church um, and you're there week after week, um, you forget that you have family outside of those four walls. And so it's a sweet thing when I get to go to other congregations um, and remember that the church is not one location and one expression. And so it is always sweet. Thank you, Reverend Colin, for inviting me again. Um, But I am so happy to be with you. That passage that we just heard, um, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is a passage that I've been familiar with throughout my walk. It's, um, It's a passage that has encouraged me, but it wasn't until the end of last summer that this scripture started taking on new meaning for me. So I don't know the exact date, but it was probably the end of July, beginning of August of last summer. Um, A group of women from our women's ministry approached me. They were planning a women's retreat for our women's ministry in March of this year. And last summer, they started planning for it. And so they asked me if I would speak at that retreat. And when I said yes, they told me that the anchor passage, the theme of that retreat was Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And so everyone that was involved in the retreat, they asked us to commit to praying at 11.28 in the morning every single day um, from the end of summer until we got to the retreat. And so in those months leading up to it, as I was preparing my message and I was um, just praying for the retreat, every day I would read this passage of scripture before I would start to pray. Um, And as I sat in that scripture for so long, a couple of things stood out to me. And the first thing that stood out to me was Matthew 29, that verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The New Living Translation says, let me teach you, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The message paraphrase says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
And so as I was looking at this passage, which is an invitation from Jesus into rest, I realized that this rest involves a yoke. So what is a yoke? A yoke is a wooden crossbeam that's fitted across two animals, um, and it is over their necks, and it attaches to a plow or a cart or whatever um, a tool that they are using, and a well-built, well-fitted yoke distributes the weight across the neck and the chest and the shoulders in a way that the animals are able to pull the cart together. And a stationary yoke will keep the animals so close together, allowing for better coordination as they're doing the work that they're doing. When an animal is yoked, it cannot turn in the opposite direction of the animal that it is yoked to. When you're yoked, you move together or you don't move at all. And what's interesting is I was studying yokes as I learned that a poorly designed yoke causes suffering to an animal. It can cause animal breakdowns and injuries. Making the yoke strong enough to withstand the job that it's designed for not only protects the animal from injury, but it also saves time during critical periods in plowing season. And so the people who heard Jesus say this, take my yoke upon you, they would have understood this imagery. They would have understood the practical application of how a yoke was used during their time. But there's something else they would have understood with this metaphor. They would have understood that he was using this metaphor to compare to the yoke of the law, to the yoke of religion, which they were also living in and experiencing. So as I was studying those things over the months, I started asking these two questions. God, what is your yoke and what am I supposed to learn from you? What is your yoke and what do I learn from you? And those questions that I was simmering on and asking him led to the second thing that stood out to me in this passage. And so over the time that I'm in this passage, I started to do what I would encourage all of you to do when you're in scripture, and that is read it in context. And that context is the cultural context, that, that context is what is going on in that time period, but the context is also what is around the scripture. We don't just read a couple of verses out of the context of what is around it. And so um, as I was reading that passage of scripture, I kept going back to the beginning of chapter 11. And then I would pick up in 11 verse 20. And so in Matthew 11, starting in verse 20, it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles, most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. If these towns of unrepentant people, um, Jesus is denouncing them because they wanted his power without his presence. Like the miracles were meant to lead them to repentance. 
but instead they experienced the power of God and they didn't sit in his presence. And the presence of God is an all-consuming fire. So anything that we take into the presence of God, it is purified and, and refined or it is destroyed. And so after we see Jesus denouncing this town, these towns, then we pick up where we heard Reverend Colin reading scripture that says, then he prayed to the Father. Um, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise and learned, but you revealed them to those like children. And then he makes the invitation into his rest. Uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and when, he, when we're in that passage, you have to notice at the beginning of verse 25, at the beginning of verse 25, it says, at that time, Jesus said. Now, we don't know if at that time means that he denounced the unrepentant towns and then he took a breath and he kept on going with a prayer, or maybe it was a, a day later or a week later. We don't know. But what we do know is all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. And so the Matthew, the writer of this, inspired by the Spirit of God, saw fit to order this scripture, this account as he did with Jesus denouncing those towns. And then at that time, he prays to the Father. He makes the invitation. And then we go on to see that um, after he makes that invitation, chapter 12 of Matthew, at that time, Jesus and his disciples are walking through some fields and it's the Sabbath. And his disciples are hungry. They, take some, they pick some grain. They start eating it. This is against the law. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so picking grain is working. The Pharisees see this and they start rebuking them. And they're like, Jesus, why, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. And in response to that, Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus responds to the religious leaders by pointing back to that scripture that we heard earlier. And, then, and he's saying, you don't understand what the prophet that I sent to Israel meant when he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He, at that time, Hosea, the prophet, he was called to turn Israel back to the Lord. That entire chapter is about repentance. It is about turning to the Lord. It's an invitation. And so Jesus is saying to them, I didn't give you a yoke of religious acts. I don't want your religion. I want your repentant heart. And so the invitation to rest, a rest that requires that we're yoked to, that we are so closely fastened to our Lord and Savior, that we are pointing in the same direction and walking in unison with him. 
That invitation here in this account of Matthew is sandwiched between a conversation on repentance. Jesus denouncing the unrepentant towns where most of his miracles were performed and Jesus rebuking the Pharisees that rebuked him because they didn't understand the message of repentance that Hosea was sent to with. And generally, we don't like the word repentance. And so when some of you saw the title today, you were probably like, well, I don't know about that. But what I have learned is that, listen, I have been sitting in this for almost a year the Lord has had me here. The invitation to rest requires repentance. The invitation to rest in him, to be yoked to him, it requires repentance. And so I asked a friend, hey, I'm going to speak on repentance. When I say the word repent or repentance, what comes to mind? And she's like difficult, hard, humbling. And she said that with this frown on her face. Like when she said humbling, she kind of scowled a little bit and she's like humbling. And, and I realized that in my own life and in the people around me, like we, we're okay with repentance for the big things like salvation. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Thank you for rescuing me. And we are, we're good with that. We're, we're good with repentance for the big bad sins, right? The ones that publicly destroy people's lives. But when it comes to the everyday repentance, the daily thing, we kind of treat it like a vegetable that we don't like, right? It's like we know logically it's good for us, um, but we're only going to eat the minimal amount of it and we're going to mask it in something so we don't have to feel the taste of it or the bitterness of it. But that is not what repentance is. Repentance matters to Jesus. Woe to you. The miracles were meant to turn you to God, to create intimacy and closeness with him. If you had understood what Hosea was saying, you would have repented and turned to God. And listen, after Jesus was baptized and was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, when he came out of that testing time, Matthew 4.17 says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Whatever direction you face, your back is to something. I cannot be yoked to Jesus in an area of my life where I'm headed in a direction that he's not facing. Now hear me. That doesn't mean that, that if you're not going in a direction that he's not going in, that you're not saved. Like if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, your eternity has been settled. But just because you're going to spend eternity with him does not mean that you're walking in freedom and rest today. We cannot be yoked to him without repentance. So we need to reframe the way we think about repentance. We need to reframe how we feel about repentance. It's not a bad thing. It's not heavy or ill-fitting. And it's not going to cause you to suffer. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It actually protects you. It's the avenue for abundance. Repentance cultivates intimacy with your father. So let's define it. Repentance is to think differently 
to reconsider, to change one's mind. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Let me teach you how to change your mind about your thoughts. Let me teach you how to change your mind about what you're doing. Let me teach you how to change your mind about what you desire. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, one of his most famous sermons, he repeatedly says, you have heard it said, but I say. This is what you believe. This is how you're living. This is what's normal. But I say, I want you to change your mind about what you believe. I want you to change your mind about what's normal. The work of your heart matters as much and more than the work of your hands. Repentance requires a daily act of discipline. And that ranges from changing your mind about sin to changing your mind about what the better thing is. This is how it looks in my life right now. (laughs) Um, I am a licensed foster mom. And in February, I received a placement of two sweet sisters. They were six and two years old. Um, And the six-year-old was in school, and the two-year-old went to our um, staff childcare at work with me. And so I would drop the six-year-old off at school about 7.15, and our staff childcare doesn't open until 9. So we would usually go back home, and I would work on cleaning up from breakfast, packing lunch, cleaning the kitchen, doing the things, and I would put on Mickey Mouse Funhouse or Blue to keep her distracted while I was trying to get things done for the day. And so um, usually in the morning, she would the, the kitchen and the living room are open together. So she would have her books and she would come in with books and toys, Miss Lynn, Miss Lynn, Miss Lynn. And I would be like, oh, that's great. Okay, go back and watch Bluey. Um, and there's one morning where I've been sitting in this passage since since August or September, um, and it's February, and she comes in with the book, and I turn around to tell her, oh, we'll read that later, go back and watch Bluey, go, you know, look at the book in the living room, and it's like the Lord just stopped me, and he's like, is, is this the better thing right now? Do, you, do I need you to wash dishes right now or pay attention to this child? I didn't know how long she was going to be with me. I didn't know what environment she came from or might be going back to. But I knew that in this moment, she was my responsibility. God had given me to steward this time with her. And dishes have to get done. Lunches have to get made. But what is the better thing in this moment? And so I dried my hands and I said, let's read the book. So we walk back in the living room and I read the book to her and it took all of three minutes to read it because she's two. Like, you know, I had my agenda and my idea about what I thought was going on and God checked that. He told me this is not the better thing. And she, we read the book and then she went back to doing whatever she was doing and I finished the task at hand. So daily, in every moment, I have to stop and say, God, is my agenda your agenda? What is the better thing? He wants to change our minds, but if we don't pause to listen to him, we're going to keep on doing the thing that we want to do. Another way that that looks in my life is um, whatever I consume in media and books And so years ago, God had convicted me on some shows that I was watching and the content that was in them. And so I knew I had to draw a hard line in the sand back then of like what shows I would watch. And if they had certain content in them, they were off the table for me to watch. 
And so at the beginning of this year, there were some shows that didn't have that kind of content in them. And so I was watching it, and they were funny, and I thought they were great. Most of the people around me would say, there's nothing wrong with these shows. But one day God was like, if you hold this show up to me in the presence of an all-consuming fire, is it going to get refined or will it be destroyed? And I was like, ooh. So maybe my definition of sin is not God's definition of sin. Maybe I have to stop and ask God, do you want me to watch this? And that led through a process of me canceling Netflix. I canceled all my streaming services. He even went after my books. <laughs> there were, I love reading. And there were some books that I would say, there's nothing wrong with this book. And he really challenged me that I cleaned my shelf off of things that, that on the surface, no one would say there was anything wrong with them. But God had a different plan for me. And he, and I had to start asking the question of, I don't get to make a list of God, is this a sin or is this not a sin? I have to go to him and ask. That there's not, a, there's not necessarily a list of things that we are supposed to do and not to do. What we do or not do is based on what he's telling us in the moment. Normal, I would say, God, this is normal. But normal doesn't mean good or right. It just means the thing that we're in the habit of doing. Normal is just the thing that most of the people around us are doing. But God has not called us to be normal. He's called us to be holy. And to be holy and set apart is a daily spiritual discipline of repentance. And saying, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If there is any offensive way about me, lead me in the way everlasting point out anything in me that offends you? Are you brave enough to ask God to point out anything in you that offends him and to lead you along the path of everlasting life? Will you give the Lord your thoughts, your heart, your body, your actions? Will you let him change your mind? Because I'm coming to learn that there is no rest without repentance. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you that your word is good, that you're good. And Lord, we don't have to fear repentance, that it actually draws us into intimacy with you. That is not something to be scared of or to run away from, but to see it as an avenue to know your ways and to know you. And so, Lord, show us where you want to change our minds. Show us where you want to change the habit of what we're doing. And we just commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Sorry, we've got people that sent in like multiple questions. Okay. If Christians wholly insulate themselves from secular influences in content, is like TVs, books, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't there a greater risk of becoming isolated and irrelevant in important conversations? Um, I would say no to that for a number of reasons. Number one, if you, that doesn't mean you're not in relationship with people. And so I have friends who I have known my whole life um, before I gave my life to the Lord and our relationship and that what I did with them and talked to them about looked a lot different um, than it does today, but we are still very close. And so relationship gives you influence in someone's life, not like a television show. And so what I, I would encourage you, yes, you may not be able to quote that television show or know what the content of that book is, but if you're in someone's life and they know you love them and they you care about them, um, you're not going to be irrelevant. Jesus was not irrelevant. And so lead with love and lead with relationship. And I think that you don't have to be consuming the same content. Excellent. Well done. Okay. Is there a difference between sin and things that aren't sin, but I could be better with? Like a cheeseburger isn't poison, but I shouldn't eat them every day. That... <laughs> Oh, cheeseburgers are my favorite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, that, that question is for the Lord. And so it's like, what has he called you to? Because the scripture does say that good left undone is sin, right? And he's planned good things in advance for us to do. And so I think we have to get in the habit of not asking like, is this in the list of sins? And Lord, do you want me to do this? How do you want me to steward my body? And he might tell you no to something that he told someone else to. And so disobedience is sin. So I would reframe it in God, what are you calling to? And have everything on the table with him. That was beautiful. Okay, if Jesus loves everyone unconditionally, why is he condemning entire towns to hell? So <laughs> I told you, I told you, they brought a, the heat. That is a good one. Um, so he's given everyone the opportunity to be in relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Like that's what he came to do. And so when I look at that, and this is something I've been wrestling with of like, um, how am I scorning the cross? Yes. Right? He came to do a really hard thing so that there is no division between us and the Father. Um, and so the question is, are you turning to him? And so he, he knows their heart and he knows whether they've turned to him or not. And so I think that he is showing everyone that um, just being next to me mm -hmm. and, and, and receiving from me, you can receive a promise from God and not be in relationship with the promise keeper. Um, and so just wow. receiving a promise from me doesn't mean that you're in relationship with me. And so he's not denouncing people because he doesn't love them. They have turned their back on him. Way to really nail a very difficult question. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I have to say, Lynn, before I ever met you, and this was several years ago, the first time I ever heard you preach, you had this metaphor about, you know, in life we juggle so many balls and some are glass and some are tennis mm -hmm. balls and they're going to bounce. That message has stuck with me. I, oh. so I have your voice in my head if I drop something or if I'm trying to figure out what to do and I'm like, is this a glass? tennis ball or is this like gonna bounce mm, so thank good. you so much thank for you. coming to parkside and preaching your word everywhere you just you really do make a difference in people's lives i want to thank you for that thank you
Thank you. Now let's continue in, um, sorry, also, y'all had a lot of questions, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions today, so Colin gets to answer the rest of them on Facebook Live.